0: Let's um, let's grab our seats, pull our Bibles out. If you've got a Bible, that'd be great. If you haven't brought one, that's okay, because I'll read it to us anyway. In fact, if you haven't got one, let me know and I'll I'll give you one. Just to confirm as well, I don't understand how Mike Passage said the words, six hours of walk and you don't have to be particularly fit in the same sentence. You know, that sounds like... That sounds like a marathon. Sounds horrendous. And rest assured, I may be there for the barbecue, but I'm busy in the day. Something on, washing my hair, something like that. Uh, (laughs) There's no way I'd end up managing it, and I'd be medevaced out halfway through. It'd just be awkward. Well, today we're going to finish our series on the book of Acts. I want us to look together at chapters 21 to 28, and and more or less, I want to pull together the whole book. That's actually the design of this message. I want to try and pull it all together as best I can, and so help us with that. I'd like us to actually turn to the book of James, please, James, chapter one. I know what you're thinking. He's going to try and do eight chapters, and now we're turning to another book. It'll be okay. Trust me. Now, I want us to start in... The book of James, because I really felt the Lord as I was praying this morning and praying over this week, put, put these verses on my heart by way of pulling the book of Acts together. James is the brother of Jesus. James is a guy that we got reintroduced to in Acts chapter 15 as the leader of the Jerusalem church. So he's a big hitter. And I think Pastor James wants us to sit under his leadership and his care today. So let's read James 1. We're going to read from verse 19 through to the end of verse 25. And this is what James has to say to us. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But But a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the book of Acts. We thank you that Dr. Luke authored it under your inspiration. These are your words that we read and have read and have studied. And Lord, as we come now to conclude, would Would James pastor every one of us in this room? Would you, through your word, bring alive the importance of not only hearing, but doing? Our Lord, would we be positioned to be blessed by you, which is my hope and is your desire. In Jesus' name, amen. When we began this 16-part series on the book of Acts, back in October of last year, I couldn't have been any more excited about the whole thing. First and foremostly, I was excited because as we launched into this book, I knew that if we examined this book in key sections of movement, as recommended by John Stott in his commentary on Acts, I knew if we could take big chunks that all stick together theologically and in movement, that we'd be able to see how unstoppable God's saving plan really is. That we would get to see over time and through the different sections that his gospel... And his saving plan cannot be stopped. Whatever stand against it, the unstoppable gospel continues to go forward. And I trust and hope that over these past 16 weeks, that's exactly what we've seen. Example after example after example of God's unstoppable plan moving forward. Whatever the obstacle, God's gospel continues to go forward. And I trust we've seen that, haven't we? And Acts chapter 21 through to 28 is no exception to what Dr. Luke is trying to show us, because yet again, it's another example of the unstoppable gospel going forward. Now, if you've been following along the reading plan that we put online a couple of months ago, then you will have already read chapters 21 through 28, and that's going to be a serious advantage to you. But knowing that 98% of people in the room won't have done that, I just want to take some time to help us see, well, what does it say? Well, how do these chapters work and what are they all about? Because what we have here... Very simply, it is the simple and glorious story of how Paul came to Rome. You see, we first learn of Paul's desire to visit Rome in Acts chapter 19, verse 21. It makes it very clear that he wants to get all the way to Rome. And quite clearly, that's God's plan that he would be able to do that. But God's means of actually seeing that come about takes some unexpected and quite incredible turns along the way. See, in chapter 21 of the book of Acts, Paul heads to Jerusalem. He's aware that it's going to be hard for him there. He tells the Ephesian elders, as we looked at last week in Miletus, he tells them straight up front, that, look, I've got to go. I've got to make my way to Jerusalem. But I know wherever I go from here, it's going to be hard. And that affliction and imprisonment awaits me. And yet he still goes. He gets on the boat at Miletus and he arrives in Jerusalem and he feels called to go there primarily to preach the gospel but also to give them a financial gift. He's been collecting it amongst all the Gentile churches. He wants to help them understand that we're all one church in Jesus Christ having put our faith in him. And so this was a great opportunity for the Gentile churches to gather together and give to the good of Jerusalem and to give to the Jerusalem church that were undergoing affliction and indeed poverty. So Paul rocks up there and he gives them the gift. They are blessed by the gift but whilst there... Paul's enemies stir up great trouble for him in the temple and seek to beat him to death. They falsely accuse him of bringing a Gentile into the temple, something that he hasn't done, but something that they're convinced he has done. And as a result, they drag him outside the city and they start to beat him. And it's only when a Roman tribune then steps in and arrests Paul and takes Paul back to the barracks that his life is saved. He was going to die there and then, never making it to Rome. But a Roman tribune arrests him, brings him back to the barracks. And he starts to interview Paul and says, you know, Paul, what what on earth is going on here? Why are they beating you to death? What, What is taking place? And Paul explains, but the tribune wasn't satisfied with the answer. And so the tribune then puts Paul before the Jewish council. And so in chapter 22, the second half of it, that's what we see. They unbind Paul. They take him to the council. And what becomes immediately clear is these Jews haven't cooled down overnight. The same guys that wanted to beat him to death yesterday are still absolutely gunning for Paul. And what we see then in chapter 22, verse 10, is that there is such dissension among the people through Paul's words that the Roman Tribune is actually concerned that they will tear him to pieces. It is all kicking off in the Jewish council. And so the Roman Tribune arrest him again and take him back to the barracks primarily for his own safety. It's then discovered very quickly that if Paul ever sees this Jewish council again, they plan to ambush him and indeed kill him. And the Roman tribune become aware of that. And so they decide that they are going to send Paul to see a man named Felix, who is the Roman governor of Caesarea. They don't want to see Paul assassinated until he's at least tried. And so in chapter 24, we see Paul before Felix in Caesarea. Felix is, the Roman, is, is a Roman truck guy. He, he's, he's going to be taking part in understanding what has taken place. And so they transport Paul to Caesarea. And at that point, Felix begins to interview Paul, begins to interview Ananias, the great high priest, begins to interview the different people from the Jewish council, and says, what on earth is going on here? And it's very clear in the way that that chapter is written that Felix could work out very quickly that Paul is being just messed about here. He hasn't done anything wrong, but they claim he did. The problem is, Felix was corrupt. He was after money. He knew his way around a bribe or two. And as a result, Paul was put in prison for two years in Caesarea. We don't get a lot of information about that other than Paul went to prison for two years. And you think, my goodness, what, what's the Lord doing there? And What's going on? But eventually, in chapter 25, a new governor arrives by the name of Festus. Hephaestus arrives as the new governor, he, he interviews Paul and he basically says to me, you know, what are you doing here? How did you end up here? And he's convinced that Paul needs to go back to Jerusalem and face his accusers there. And at that point, Paul, as a Roman citizen, exercises his right to appeal to Caesar and actually stand trial in Rome. He's a Roman citizen, so he can do that. He's aware that if I go back to Jerusalem, I will lose my life and it's not my time yet. I need to make it to Rome. And so he exercises his right to appeal to Caesar and Festus agrees and Paul then begins to set sail for Rome. Before leaving in chapter 27, he talks to King Agrippa about the gospel, he talks to Festus about the gospel, Paul wants to seize every opportunity he can get with whoever he's encountering to tell them about Jesus. But in chapter 27, he sails eventually for Rome. He's accompanied by an armed guard and also his friend, Dr. Luke. On one leg of the journey, they get shipwrecked dramatically onto the island of Malta that Emma and I have been to. It's a beautiful little island. And there's this this island just off Malta where they said he's shipwrecked. And it's quite an incredible scene and quite an incredible country. And then Paul is now imprisoned again in Malta while he waits under armed guard to move on. And eventually, in chapter 28, Paul arrives in Rome. Nearly four years after he first set his sights on going to the city of Rome, he finally arrives. You know what the means to get Paul to Rome are somewhat unexpected, don't you think? If you were writing the story, you wouldn't think, oh, you know, this is how I'm going to weave it into the plan. But this is the way the Lord moves sometimes. His timing is perfect. But what you see, although the means are certainly unexpected, what you see here is another great example of how God's saving plan has shown itself to be truly unstoppable, hasn't it? Nothing can stand in the way. Paul's imprisoned. Paul's shipwrecked. He's beaten. They're trying to drag him out of the temple and kill him. And yet God saves Paul every time. And he gets him all the way to Rome. And right at the end of the book of Acts, just turn there with me. Acts chapter 28 And in verse 30, these are the final words. and It says, He lived there, meaning Paul. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul is awaiting the trial before Caesar, before a Roman emperor. And yet as he awaits... He sits in his home, and people are coming in and out of his home. He sits with armed guard most of his life, most of the rest of his time. And yet the gospel goes forward, and he's made it, hasn't he? He's made it all the way to Rome. Chapter 1, verse 8. I'm going to pour the Holy Spirit out on you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, to the end of the earth. The end of the earth to these folk was Rome. Right at the end, he makes it. The gospel goes forward. God's saving plan is truly unstoppable. And as we started this series, I knew that we would see that. I knew that by God's grace, we would see if we're listening and taking note of how unstoppable this saving plan truly is. And I was excited about that. But I was also excited about the truth that as we begin this series, I knew that just like with every other book of the Bible... God's word and acts would have something to say to us today. Something to look each one of us in our eyes over and communicate to us today. Something to speak to our church here in Sydney right now in 2014. See, as we study this book week after week, God's word, we're not just reading some sort of dry and crusty history book, are we? That we just go, oh, that's really interesting. Thanks for that. We go home. God's Word says it's alive and active. God still speaks to us through His Word. The Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ Himself still communicates through His Spirit and through His Word to our lives and speaks things to us today, doesn't He? He's still guiding, still calling, still leading, still saving, still communicating to us and still empowering. And I thank God then that over these past 16 weeks, God has been working in our hearts, hasn't He? He has been communicating to us. If all we leave with at the end of this series is a greater understanding of how the gospel went forward and thanks for coming, I think we've missed something of what God was doing all along as he communicates to us and talks to us as individuals. And as I gave myself then this week to studying for this message, I've been aware that our series was going to come to an end. Time and time again, I felt the Lord put on my heart These chapters in James. See, James is incredibly concerned, not primarily with theology. He's primarily concerned with application. He's very aware of the importance of application. So right at the start of his book, he explains, you know what, guys, it's important that we understand that we don't just hear the gospel and hear theology week after week after week, and we see our faces, and we fail to apply James, if he was here as our pastor, would say to us, as you encountered acts, it is vital then that we don't just say, how interesting, what a wonderful history lesson. But instead we understand that we need to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Why? Because if we're hearers only, then we are deceived. It's been a waste of time. Pastor James wants to communicate to us of the importance of application, namely that having seen ourselves in the mirror of the book of Acts, having encountered God in the book of Acts, having been communicated by the Lord through Acts, we need to be doers and not hearers only. Because it's in our doing that we'll be blessed. It's in our doing that for us individually we'll be blessed. It's in our doing that for us in our communities as we seek to win people for the gospel, that they will be blessed. And so here's my question just one question this morning by way of concluding this series taken from the Gospel of James from the book of James here's the question having seen now your face in the mirror of the book of Acts what changes are you now going to seek to make having seen your face now in the book in the mirror of the book of Acts what changes are you now going to seek to make See, folks, I don't want any one of us in this room to be deceived. I don't want us to come and rock up to church week in and week out and go, that was such a wonderful message. I'm so blessed. No, you're not. You're deceived. We're blessed in our doing. We're blessed as we take it and it allows us to impact in our lives and then we go away and make changes for the glory of the Lord in light of what we've heard. We're blessed in our doing. Not primarily in our hearing. So having seen your face in the mirror of the book of Acts, what changes then are you now going to seek to make? As I was thinking about this truth this week, I have three applications then, three clear points of application from, I think, the book of Acts that I want to suggest to us and communicate to us as we finish this series in a hope that we may apply and be blessed in our application. So having seen our faces in the mirror of the book of Acts, here's my first point of application that I want to encourage us in. Number one, would we move forward as his witnesses? Having seen our faces in the book of Acts, number one, would we move forward as his witnesses? Look with me for one last time in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Key verse in the whole of the book. And it says, But you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Samaria and in all Judea, sorry, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's one of the key points of the whole entire book. And what is clearly seen right in the midst of it is simply this, isn't it? You will be my witnesses. Jesus is about to ascend, but he's communicating for one final time with these disciples and explaining to them, you're on. You'll be my witnesses. And then he ascends. Now, first and foremost, this was to the apostles. And this must have come as as an absolute shock to them. In verse 6, when Jesus is resurrected and with them, they're convinced that this is great news. Now we can get into Jerusalem then and you can take it over. This is great. Two verses later, he communicates to them, No, actually, I'm going to go be at the Father's right-hand side. You're going to be my witnesses. Can you imagine what a shock that would have been? Most of these guys are 18, 19, 20 years old. They're a group of young men, and he's saying, no, I'm going. It's, you're on. You're now going to be my witnesses. Well, my friends, just as shocking, I think, is this simple truth that now 2,000 years on, this is our time. We're on. This is the call of God on our lives now. See, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and in Matthew 28, two great proclamations by the Savior, that we're calling them, calling the disciples to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. In both situations, in Acts 1 and Matthew 28, the disciples are there as representatives of us. Otherwise, as soon as those 12 are finished, we just go, oh, done. Oh, thanks for coming. But none of us do that, right? Because we know instinctively, well, of course, that's the call of God on all our lives. Well, I'm here to tell you that's exactly the call of God on all of our lives. Those disciples were there to represent the church. But now if you're a Christian and you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, the reality is those words spoken to the disciples are now spoken to you. You're now going to go. We need to go. We need to brandish the gospel and take it because quite clearly the scripture is looking on and going, you know what, Sovereign Grace? You're up. James Montgomery Boyce, in his wonderful commentary on the Ephesians, says, God is letting history unfold like a great drama upon a cosmic stage. The angels are the audience and we are the actors. And this drama has been unfolding across the centuries as first Adam and Eve, then Abraham... Moses, David, Isaiah, John the Baptist, Peter, and Paul, and all the other men and women of Christian history, both the great and the minor, are brought onto stage to play the part that God assigned them to speak words that come from hearts that love him. And now, you and I are the players in this drama. Satan is on the attack, and the angels are straining forward to look on. Are they seeing the manifold wisdom of God in you as you go through your part and speak your lines? Oh, would they see it? For it can be seen in you alone. And it is on your stage where you work and play and think and speak that you are called to deliver your lines. My friends, 2000 years on, we're on. The angels are looking on. They want to see the manifold wisdom of God. Satan is on the attack, seeking to wreck all plans. And the stage is taken by us. My friends, we've got to deliver our lines, haven't we? It's so tempting, I think, to leave this one with the professionals, isn't it? It's so tempting to think, you know what? I thank God there are people in Sovereign Grace Church that are really good at outreach. Because I'm not. It's not for me. But it's good that there are other people that do it. But the Bible doesn't give us that room. The Bible doesn't say, okay, well, look, find in your church a few people that are really good at it and then pray for them. The Bible says when you became part of the family of God, you also joined the army of God. And you're on. In your communities, where you work, where you play, where you think and speak, we are now called to deliver our lines. And, you know, I thank God that there are so many of you already that are delivering those lines, and there are. Let me give you a sampling of just what happened this week with people in this local church, because I think sometimes we're unaware of what goes on in our midst. Rachel Pettit just last week headed off with about 11 other folk to do the walk-up evangelism that Brenda's leading so well. And she didn't particularly want to go, but Matt, her husband really wanted to go. She thought, well, I better get in the mix. So she tagged along and went along. But during that trip, she just really encountered the Lord and met a lady by the name of Monique. And Monique was a lady who had never heard of Christianity and never heard of Jesus Christ. And Rachel was able to proclaim Jesus to her and tell her about the gospel. She was interested and she wanted to hear more. And so Rachel was able to email it in the week and show her about two ways to live and what it really means to follow Jesus. And they've started an email conversation back and forth just with about Jesus. How cool is that, don't you think? The Lord then put on Rachel's heart to write to her auntie who's dying. He's terminally ill. And so Rachel took the time to write to her and communicate the gospel to her to try and win her for Christ. And we're praying for that. Charlotte Tua, reaching out to a friend from work called Wanmi, And this girl is going through relational issues, but Charlotte's aware of that and knows that. And she's just been trying to win Wanmi for Jesus Christ and communicating to her, Jesus is enough. In the midst of all you're going through, Jesus is the answer, and he's the one you need. Brendan Willis, likewise, trying to reach out to his cousin, was with his cousin a few weeks ago, and his cousin was just saying how difficult life was going for him, and was also walking through relational issues, and he really wanted to talk to a priest. And Brendan said, well, I'm kind of a priest, and so we could try and, you know, try and go with that. You just think, all things to all men, I love that. And so they met up this week and Brennan was just able to share the gospel with him and communicate to him that his understanding of being, being more Catholic by nature was that he had to earn his salvation and that Brennan was just communicating to him that Jesus has done it all for you. He's the answer to all you need. Just this week, my own wife, we've been praying for friends from Asquith Public School who we got to know and we were just praying that the Lord would open up opportunities for, for Emma or myself to really communicate the gospel clearly. And And we went out for lunch with one of the ladies there. We were praying for her, and she got to communicate the gospel in its fullness and to communicate to this lady whose life is just genuinely falling apart how Jesus was the answer to what she needed, that he was the one that would bring hope in the midst of hopelessness. Just this week also, Anita Hahn has been reaching out to a friend from work, just praying for opportunities to proclaim the gospel to her. And the opportunity arrived then eventually at work, as they waited for a different appointment and it was running 30 minutes behind and as a result of that she had 30 minutes to share the gospel with that individual. And although that individual rebuffed her, I thank God Anita took the courage to share the gospel with her. Because that's what it is. We're called to be faithful. We're not called to give all the answers and see everybody respond. I wish they did. But we're called to be Faithful. Julie Paselich, Mel Coe, Riley Spring, Andrew Lung, Simon Wood, Matt Pettit. The list goes on and on. There are stories after stories after stories of people communicating the gospel with people. Folks, I thank God for that. I praise God for that. People in this local church are delivering their lines for the glory of the Lord. But here's what I want to encourage you in. By way of applying God's word, Acts isn't given to just a few of us in this room. Acts is given to each and every one of us in this room. And so if you're a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ, let us not just be hearers of the word, let us be doers of the word. And I want to encourage you then, would we then move forward as his witnesses? Because we're on, my friends. There are people all in our communities, many of us in our families, that outside of the saving grace of Jesus Christ are running as fast as they can towards hell. And we know how to stop that. We have an answer that can change that. We must communicate our lines. We must join the adventure. Now for many of you, me included, the greatest challenge I think we face in that is fear, isn't it? Lack of courage. There are a few people that now and again don't struggle with the fear of man. But for the rest of us, we certainly do. And if you put me in front of a thousand people to proclaim God's word, I'm I'm not even that nervous about that. I I thank God for it and I look forward to it. You put me in front of three people that want me to give me account for my faith. My tongue feels like the size of King Kong. I can't remember what to say. Tongues comes naturally at that point. You know, it's just, it's hard. And as I was communicating to you a while ago, last year when I went away camping with my soccer friends, and we're sitting around the campfire one night, the first night, And eventually it comes out. They know I'm a Christian. It's hard to hide behind that when you're a pastor. Um, They know exactly what I stand for and who I am. And and I love them and want to proclaim the gospel to them. But we're sitting by this campfire. And my coach eventually says, So Dave, what does it mean to be a Christian? And how were you called to be a pastor? And you think, oh my gosh here we go then, and, and we were about an hour just communicating different things about the gospel, different things about scripture, about the way it works, the next morning I got out of bed and they said, good morning pastor, and good morning team, and it, it, it was just, it was a great experience, but for that moment, in that moment, I felt fear, I lacked courage, I just thought, Lord, please, you've got to be with me now, because I'm, I'm going in, my friends, we all fear, Things at different times, aren't we? We all lack courage. And that's why this second point of application then is so important. And here it is. Having seen ourselves in the mirror of the book of Acts, number two, would we move forward on our knees? And my friends, we must. In Acts chapter one, we encounter a small group of young men, fearful, shell-shocked about what is taking place, fearful and shell shocked as they realize. He's just called us to go ahead and do this. It sounded like he said, we're going to be his witnesses before he cleared off. Did, did he just say that? They're fearful about what is taking place. They are shocked about what is taking place. And in, in Acts chapter two, verse four, we see these very same men proclaiming the mighty works of God. Same men. Just a few weeks later. One minute fearful, the next minute out in the town square telling everybody they possibly can about Jesus. What he's done for them. What he can do for them. How did this happen? How on earth did this change come about? Well, the headline answer is indeed Acts chapter 2, isn't it? Which we all know very well. Acts chapter 2, the moment when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. The Holy Spirit empowers them for witness. The changing effect came through the Holy Spirit. These were cowardly men. The Holy Spirit empowers them. They're sharing boldly. God has called, as John Piper says, God has called men who would otherwise be cowards to proclaim the gospel for him. And he does it by empowering them with the Holy Spirit. It's incredible truth. But that's what he does. That's what we saw this great change come about in Acts chapter 2. Nervous, fearful men, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and then they go off a mission and start to proclaim the Word of God boldly. My friends, that Holy Spirit that came upon them in Acts chapter 2 is the same Holy Spirit that comes upon you when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Do you realize that? Does anybody in the room believe that the Holy Spirit has changed? Because I don't. He's the same. He's the same one, the same Holy Spirit that empowered these men, for witness, is the same one who lives in your heart. He's the same one that as we cry out to him, saying, Lord, I am fearful, would you give me boldness? Would you help me? He's the one that's going to respond with, yes, I will, because he's the same one. He hasn't changed the way he operates. He's not just like, oh, look, to be honest, I really want to empower the 12, but there's a lot of you now, and I'll give it a miss. No, he's there to say, I'm here to help you. That's why he's in you. Because I want to help you. I don't just want to comfort you. It's great that he comforts us. That's great. But he's also equipping us for mission. It's great that he comforts us when we need that. But if we just take the comfort and then go, oh, you know, therefore I'm done. You know, I just, my life's really hard. Okay, great. Be comforted. And now let's go. Let's get on. Because whatever's this, that's this, whatever is happening in your life that you're struggling with, there are people in our world that are going to hell. That is a big struggle. We must be an army as well as a family. And the Holy Spirit will equip us for that. He will help us to do that. The headline of what changed in these guys' lives is Acts chapter 2. But by way of application, all too many of us, I think, miss Acts chapter 1. Turn to Acts chapter 1. Read with me verses 12 through 14. This happened prior to the Holy Spirit. Look at what they're doing. It says this in verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem for the Mount of Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. Listen. And all these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. We miss that, don't we? We go to Acts 2 and just think, yes, I need power. And we avoid verses 12 through 14. Verses 12 through 14 are vital because they are an expression of this band of brothers' total dependency upon God. That's why they prayed. They didn't pray because, you know what, well, we're just part of a church that likes to do prayer meetings and stuff, so we do it, and it gives me a bit of a nap, and I probably should go. They're not doing it because they feel obliged to do it. They're praying because they're aware, I'm called by God to be His witness, and I am freaking out about it. I need help. I need help. They're not praying because they're obliged. They're praying because they're aware of their great need for him, their limitations, their fears, their lack of courage. And so they are gathered in a room crying out to God, Lord, come, be with us. We need your help as we're called to be your witnesses. We need your help to go, Lord, because we are fearful people. An act that they repeat time and time again through the book of Acts. As they go into situations, they pray. As they go into situations, they pray. They need the Lord's help. They need his empowerment. Well, friends, I submit to you, if we're wise, knowing the call of God on your life as a witness, I suggest to you we need to be praying then, don't we? Not because we're called to because we're a part of a church that does prayer meetings, but because if you're actually going to manage to witness, I I think we need him, don't we? Because we lack courage by ourselves. We need to be a family that move forward together on our knees Joshua Harris then says it this way he says prayer is the posture that acknowledges that is that is only by God's power that we can bear witness and that we can do the work that God has called us to do prayer is not passive it is active but it is active dependence the person who prays is not a weak person nor an ineffective person But a person that acknowledges that apart from God giving the power to accomplish what he has called them to do, nothing is going to happen. Prayer is by nature then active dependence. It acknowledges the fact that God supplies the power and so the most effective thing we can do in fulfilling God's plan is to turn towards him and ask him to supply more of his spirit and more of his power to help us to witness as a church and as individuals to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Sovereign Grace, we are called by God to be his witnesses. We are called by God to deliver our lines in the places we work, the places we socialize, the places we play. We are called to deliver our lines. If that doesn't make you nervous, you're a rarity. But that nervousness needs to drive us not to abdication and doing nothing. That nervousness needs to drive us to God. Independence. Say, Lord, help me. Help me do what you've called me to do. Because, Lord, I need you. My Friends, would we then at Sovereign Grace, would we be a praying people? Because we need to be a praying people. When we gather together in our life groups, we don't just want to pray at the end because, you know, it's a kind of nice thing to do. We want to pray at the beginning and the end and throughout because we're aware, Lord, we need you. We're not the answer to everybody's problems. Jesus is. We're not the answer to all the world's problems. Jesus is. We never can nice anybody into the kingdom of God. Jesus can do what he wants. We need to be a praying people. So when we gather together in groups, let's pray. And when we live our lives by ourselves for so many of the days of the week before we go into work and before we go into play and before we go into our social endeavors, realizing that God in His sovereignty has put them in the, put us in those things for His, for His purposes. Let's be a praying people. Be aware I'm called to witness to these people. Lord, help me. Give me grace. Number three then in closing. Having seen our faces in the mirror of the book of acts would we move forward in faith Acts chapter 1 verse 8 jesus informs his disciples that his great plan of salvation is going to involve them as his witnesses and this would have indeed been a shock But then he informs them straight off that I'm going to equip you for this. I'm going to empower you. And it's when the Holy Spirit comes upon you that you're going to be able to do all these things. And then in that very same verse, he gives them a map, doesn't he? He tells them straight up front that the gospel through you is going to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then what happens in the rest of the book is we get to see it happen. In chapters 1 through 7, we see the gospel going forward in Jerusalem. They start to proclaim the glories of Jesus Christ and revival begins to break out in Jerusalem. Right at the end of those chapters, Stephen is stoned for the faith and that starts a gospel tsunami that comes after it as the dispersion starts to spread out. In chapters 8 through 11, the gospel then goes forward in Judea and Samaria and then from chapter 12 onwards, the gospel goes forward to the ends of the earth, making it even to Rome the ends of the known earth for them. Often the gospel faced opposition. There was suffering that took place. There was persecution that took place. People were dying for the faith. And yet each and every time all the way through, you get to see God's saving plan going forward, don't you? And that's because Dr. Luke all along has been trying to help us see that God's saving plan is truly unstoppable all the way through from chapter chapter 1, verse 9, when Jesus ascends and you just think, oh, that's interesting, he's gone off in a cloud and oh, it's just part of the story. It's not just part of the story. He is ascending to the right hand of God and what is going to happen there? He takes his place as king of kings and lord of lords. The great lion of the tribe of Judah, his job is done and he now sits at the right hand of the father with scepter in hand for all authority in heaven and earth, he tells us, has now been given to me. He sits and oversees all things as king of kings and lord of lords. And ever since that moment when he takes his seat, the gospel goes forward unstoppably. Why? Because he orchestrates it all. My friends, 2,000 years ago, the reason why the gospel went forward unstoppably is because Jesus, as the great lion of the tribe of Judah, was controlling it all. The encouragement for us today is that Jesus hasn't changed. He still sits at the right hand of the Father. He still holds the scepter. And that, my friends, is why the glorious gospel is still unstoppable today. Isn't that wonderful? We're not just in this by ourselves. Jesus isn't just sitting at the right hand of the Father to have a chat. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and saying, I'm with you. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. But lo, I'll be with you to the end of the age. Oh, and know this. All authority in heaven and earth has now been given to me. You'll make it. I will, through my gospel, break into people's lives in a moment. Just be faithful. Keep telling them about it. Because I'm on the move through you. My friends, I do want to encourage you then, as we move forward, would we move forward then in faith? Because the gospel is unstoppable. His saving plan is truly unstoppable. How encouraging and how inspiring and how faith-fueling that should really be. Peter Davids, in his James commentary, writing about James chapter 1, says this. He says, no matter how extensive one's scriptural knowledge, how amazing one's memory, it is self-deception if that is all there is. Listen to this. True knowledge is the prelude to action. And it is our obedience to the word that counts in the end. True knowledge is the prelude to action. I love that. The intention of this series and every other series at Sovereign Grace is not just to try and fill our minds with knowledge. It's to inspire our minds with knowledge as a prelude to action. Why? Because it's in your doing that you'll be blessed. Having seen, we go away and apply. And in our application, we're blessed. Not in our hearing. That's why true knowledge is a prelude to action. And that is why our obedience is actually what will count in the end to his word. So my friends, I want to encourage you then, as the sun sets on our series of Acts as a local church, would we be doers of the word and not hearers only? Would we not just be able to regurgitate to you in detail every detail of acts? That doesn't impress me that much. What does impress me is when you get people that go, you know, I don't remember every detail. But through this series, I've been aware that God's called me and I'm starting to ask him for help. And you know, I've had these things happen just this week where I've been able to proclaim the gospel. That impresses me a lot. And on that last day, when you stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, I doubt he's going to say to you, so, okay, pop quiz. Chapter 4, verse 8, what is it? (laughs) Doubt it. But I think he's going to be interested in terms of, you know what? You know what, Anita, when you... When you reached out to that individual at work, I was smiling on you. Well done. You know what, Julie, when you're you're gathering together with different folk to try and win them for Jesus. Well done. That impresses me. I think most importantly, that impresses the Lord. That's why on that day, each one will receive their commendation from the Lord. Not because of their knowledge but because of what they've done with it. Friends, I want to encourage you then, would we be doers of the word and not hearers only? Having seen our faces in the mirror of the book of Acts, would we move forward as his witnesses? Because we're called to go. Would we move forward on our knees? Because we are scared. And we need his grace. And we need his help. And would we move forward in faith? Because the gospel is unstoppable. And when Aslan, as the great lion of the tribe of Judah, stands with you at all times, as you're communicating, if it be his will, no one will stand against his roar. So take courage and apply this truth and we then go forward in faith. Let's pray. Lord, how can we thank you enough for the simple truth that your saving plan is unstoppable. <laughs> lord, would that truth fill our minds and fuel us for the rest of our days? Because it's true. Your saving work as it moves forward is, wields a force that nothing can stand against it because you have been crowned as king of kings and lord of lords. You are the king of all and you've then called us and equipped us and empowered us to play a part in your great plan. So Lord, as we now take stage, Lord, did you help us to deliver our lives? Lord, we can be a fearful people. We can struggle at times to know what to say and how to say things. Lord, would we be mindful at all times that you are with us not only to care for us in our needs, but you are with us as we go. Holy Spirit, would you empower us afresh as a local church? Would we move forward with fresh courage, having been illuminated through your word? Would you equip our hearts with the courage necessary to go? And Lord, a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, Would we be standing alongside other people in this room who are worshipping you as Lord and Savior, who today don't know you as Lord and Savior? Lord, give us courage. Help us to be your witnesses. And through us, would your glorious saving plan go forward? In Jesus' precious name.